0: All right, sorry. That was a that was an extra hard tip. I just <laughs> I just wanted to make sure I let everybody know what time it is. Uh hello everybody. Uh, my name is Nerd Slayer. Welcome to the Six Pixels Under podcast. This is episode twenty four. On this week's podcast, we're going to talk about lots of online MMO topics this week, which is always great. But we'll also talk about Red Dead Online's m- first major push towards uh, microtransactions, which has got many people up in arms we'll talk about pokemon shield and sword or at least react to the trailer uh that game's coming out on switch later this year we'll talk about the skyrim together mod apparently sealing source code from the ske uh skse project which for those who follow or play skyrim or mod it's i think the script uh the script something editor i, I can't remember what the other s stands for but we'll talk a bit about about, about that, because there's some drama in the mod community. Lots of drama. We'll also talk about artifact dropping below 700 average players. Uh, I think it dropped as low as 490, I believe. Got some hair in my mouth. <laughs> anyway, how's everyone doing this week? This is the 4th and Monday, as always. I'm glad to see you guys, so I'm trying to make sure I got my, my tilt going here. Oh, sorry. Thanks for letting me know that, (laughs) Limpos. You're like something's in the frame. I was like, what? (laughs) What's in the frame? Okay, thank you. (laughs) I appreciate it. All right, so let's go ahead and get into our first topic of the week. Just to remind everybody, first, um, card is sitting in the podcast lobby right now, ready to take anybody's questions. Um, concerning the call-in segment at the end of the podcast as usual if you have a call-in question or you'd like to respond to what I'm talking about immediately feel free to contact card and podcast lobby if you can't chat with us because you're at work or kids are asleep or whatever your reasoning is just go ahead and at me in twitch chat and you can ask me your question from there the old title it shouldn't be there i did make a new one we also ooh, i completely forgot about this but we're also going to talk about the funcom announcement of a dune open world mmo as well as intrepid studios having some drama with uh, ashes of creation jagex is working on another unannounced uh online RPG. i think it's an action rpg even and um drama about some kickstarter mmos that i was going to talk about on the mmorpg subreddit and then finally there was those uh, 140 developer layoffs at uh, ArenaNet, a.k.a. Guild Wars 2, but Mike Z, the game director, promises that it's business as usual. So We have a lot to talk about this week, which is not... not We don't get to talk about that many MMO stuff, I feel like, that are actually on the docket, if you want to put it that way, like a news topic. So let's go ahead and jump into our first topic, which is going to be, as I said uh, earlier... Definitely some RDR drama. Let's get this on screen. Shows the updated title now. Okay, thank you. I appreciate that. We're doing it live, right? That's that's all there is to it. We're doing it live. No, my my, my hat's coming down. I can't let the hat start to come up. It's too bougie. what the heck it just said url not found okay because i put an extra dash Alrighty, let's see what we got here red dead online's first major update pushes microtransactions while cutting major sources of player income in half this is what we were told would come says a fat black man on reddit (laughs) that's his name okay (laughs) i wasn't profiling in reality one of the two new weapons is now listed as coming soon as well as some of the new clothing options emotes are now purchasable for over a hundred dollars or gold bars it's clear that walk i don't know why i said Walkstar. (laughs) it's clear that rockstar wants players to spend money on their premium currency because hunting activities which were already low paying have been cut in half so these weapons and cosmetics are effectively two times as costly for players who hunt for their income now obviously this this was kind of expected which is interesting because as it says here like this is something that people kind of knew about now for at least a week or two. They knew that they were going to change some of the monetization in RDR. And not to mention, they already changed it since its inception and since its launch. If you remember, the the drama surrounding the RDR our, uh, online experience was primarily concerning that diamonds were worth uh, more than a can of beans was. And, and, and the reason, or sorry, a can of beans was worth more than diamonds. And the reason that was, was because a can of beans is actually an aspect or or a part of the in-game economy, whereas diamonds are just kind of like a thing that has value. So in RDR's eyes, or I should say Take-Two or Rockstar now, they've, they've kind of gotten to the point where it's just blatantly, they make their online games a lot more geared towards uh, those who are willing to spend money. I mean, that's just true. If you look at GTA Online, the two years ago, I believe it made $1 billion uh, a year in uh, in its revenue. So when you think about that, what incentive is there for our RDR or, sorry, Take-Two or a Rockstar in this case to not do that again, right? What's to stop them from not wanting to cash in again on the success of uh, GTA? I think the only reason really is that they want right to write the ship, right? Maybe they want to fix a little bit of their persona, fix a little bit about the um, the res- response, reception that they get, you know? Sort, sort of something like that. but. uh they they did it again, right? And it didn't really surprise us. Those who've been following the story, and I think at this point it's kind of becoming quite appear or apparent that when it comes to Rockstar, uh, at least when you're working with games that they're published with, uh, uh, or published by rather, and involved with Take Two Interactive, there's just going to be a lot of gray ground, uh, and it's going to be a constant push towards what's considered fair and what's not fair in the industry. Um, I think. Red Dead Redemption Online, the the unfortunate thing about the game is that because it already had all of that negative history at the very start, all the microtransactions, all the changing of values, et cetera, et cetera, it kind of already is in a really bad spot if you think about it, because GTA Online didn't have all of this history and all of these problems until kind of after. I mean, GTA Online for a bit kind of just cruised, like, it wasn't really meant to be this massive game, right? But it kind of did become that, and of course, they expanded it. They added ways for you to purchase uh, money or get upgrades. Um, Of course, they added a lot more new content to the game, etc. So I I don't know what to say at this point concerning Rockstar, but it's kind of becoming to the point to where I just don't know if I really can trust them with an online experience. Because you can even say that uh, RDR and its microtransactions have affected its uh, offline play as well in some ways. Now, I'm not going to say to the level of, like, Shadow of Mordor or or one of these other games, but uh, there, there's a balance there for sure. The single-player, multiplayer balance. And it's quite apparent that a company of this size, you're going to get a game that's going to try and maximize the way that it makes money. Especially if it's an online game that doesn't cost any money to uh, play. Which RDR doesn't cost any money to play, right? You buy the game, you can play the online Um, meaning it doesn't require a sub or there's no like um, traveler's pack you need to buy like in Black Desert Online there's no monthly fee of anything Um, but there is an economy in the game and obviously you can buy money which is majority of the ways they make money anyway rad ad (laughs) yeah good job on that one Polygon their writers had a good time with that one I'm not sure what's worse, GTA Online where everything just got insanely expensive or halving the income of players. Yeah, th- th- I think that's that kind of sums up my thoughts better than I was thinking it uh thinking about it myself. Where it's kind of like with GTA Online, it got to that point whereas RDR started at that point and kind of was even worse because they instead of changing the prices, uh I feel like Rockstar in this case of realize that we don't need to change the price we don't need to increase the price or increase the amount of microtransactions we can just lower <laughs> the value of it in the economy which is basically the same thing right pretending know how to fight with my hands thanks for the resub akh925 i appreciate that how you doing by the way They still make obscene amounts on GTA 5 online, so clearly whatever they do works for them. From a business point of view, and well, that took to RDR, because why not? Right, exactly. Alright, not much more to say about that. We'll have to watch the story unfold. Um, I, I'll say this, though. Uh, don't support these kinds of games. <laughs> when a game blatantly is changing the economy just so they can essentially create more monetization surrounding it, it's kind of like um, it's one thing to do it in an MMO in a free to play game, right? But this is a game that costs money to buy. This is a full price game that also has an online portion. This is where it just for me it just gets a, lines get crossed. You know, it's not the typical free to play thing that we're very used to in the MMO world. <laughs> All right, let's watch the um. Let's watch the trailer for Pokemon Sword and Pokemon Shield. Now, for those who aren't Pokemon fans, I'm sorry, but I've been a Pokemon fan for a long time. I also have a Switch. And I've always looked for more Pokemon experiences that you can play in 3D or that you could play in, I guess, just a higher graphical fidelity. And obviously, as the gameplay on screen shows, this is kind of what they had in mind. Now, some of these textures are um, definitely Pokemon textures. They're a little bit rough around the edges if you can't tell in the background. Even the backdrops need work. They might need to load some higher uh res backdrops, but this is so early. I mean the game launches in like eight months at least, like seven to eight months. Anyway, I'm I'm excited about this. I'm happy to see more next gen Pokemon title. I don't want to see the same Game Boy title. I don't want to see the same DS titles. I don't want to see the same experiences. I'd like for us to be able to, to take the Pokemon world and universe and really leverage it. And in this case, seeing gameplay footage that rivals like Final Fantasy 7, you know, like that that's really cool for me. Because even though Final Fantasy 7 came out like 20 years ago or something, <laughs> like a long ass time ago, it's cool to see it on a Switch. And I will be making a purchase um, of this game. And I hope it has co-op or I hope it has some form of battling online. This kind of is related to one of my tangent uh topics later on the soapbox section which is actually concerning a possible Pokemon MMO and now there's no news so sorry if you think I'm breaking any um but I wanted to theory craft the idea of what a Pokemon MMO could be like or what it what it would represent and um I, I mentioned this on, on Twitter earlier in the week but I think the Pokemon franchise is a fucking slam dunk when it comes to making an MMO. I really do think that. Like I think that they have a world that's so easy to nail long-term progression, nail uh, customization, they can nail breeding and and more um, ways to raise and customize Pokemon. Uh, you can have player run gyms, you can have player run like Final Fours, you can have, like there's just so much you could have in a Pokemon MMO. The idea of switching between different pokemon which allows you to level them up you could also level up your trainer there's different types of pokeballs etc etc there's so much depth and 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 um fun i feel like in the pokemon realm but obviously as people know it's not exactly a franchise that is led by those who are very fond of mmos or even just online games period nintendo's not really known for that type of experience and it's slowly getting there. I'm seeing them slowly make progress with like Splatoon 2 and Super Smash Bros. Ultimate. You're seeing them make some progress in regards to the way that they handle games and handle online games. But yeah, Nintendo's not the company that's really going to do an MMO. You know, it, it doesn't really seem like that kind of company. That being said, there's tons of Japanese companies you can. <laughs> that's, I, I say tons, sorry. I should say that there's a couple Japanese companies that can. That could... You know, they wouldn't even have to leave Japan in order to get help is what I'm trying to say. Look up Tim Tim. That's a pretty decent Pokemon esque MMO. I'll, I'll look into it. I appreciate that. Tim Tim. I think I've heard of this one or at least I've seen some sort of gameplay review of it. One thing that's difficult to do with uh, Pokemon copycats is really nail the the lore and the feel of Pokemon. Pokemon has this very relaxed kind of like there's a competition aspect because you're competing in ways, but it never really feels overtly like you're competing. Maybe when you watch like the anime or something, it's pretty blatant, but I don't I don't really think it's so blatant when you watch Pokemon, which is kind of what I like about it. I like the subtlety. This is kind of cool to see here, this Tim Tim game. Um obviously this is an alpha and this was footage from like last year. Let's see if we can find any earlier footage. Or later. No, it looks like uh, they had an alpha, and maybe that was the only one they were allowed to show gameplay from. Oh, I've seen the Kickstarter trailer before. I was hoping that there was some more gameplay concerning it. But, I mean, it's funny because they literally took the exact Pokemon idea and kind of made that into a game. Like, I think this game could have an audience. I'm not saying it's going to be huge. It'll be bigger than uh, Artifacts 500 players, but uh, it, it's there is definitely an audience here. And um, the first company to get this kind of game right, is going to be huge. I mean, guys, think about this. And I know I got some OGs in chat, but you guys remember Neopets? Like, do you remember how big Neopets used to be? Neopets could have been massive, but why didn't Neopets become massive? Because Scientology took over, which is partially true. Still, I think about Neopets, right? And I'm like, why was Neopets so fun? Minigames, raising the Neopets, customization, all the same reasons that Pokemon is fun. But then I think about, no one remembers Neopets except for the OGs, really. And sorry, Tim Tim, but this is a clear uh, new brand that's trying to kind of implement and, and I don't want to say innovate, but like um, take some ideas from the Pokemon franchise and kind of push that to the next level. In an online title, which I'm happy to see. A title like this could inspire Nintendo. I mean, you never know. If Tim Tim, you know, this game becomes successful, Nintendo could say, you know what? Maybe there is something here. That's usually what these big companies do is it always takes them having to to sniff the the scent of money in order to kind of be inspired to want to do something creative. (laughs) At least that's how it always seems to me. Digimon is going to make a comeback. It's funny you say that because my best friend loves Digimon. (laughs) He's a huge Digimon fan, even though he admits that the Digimon games are incredibly grind-centric. I want my dragon-breeding MMOs back. (laughs) Yeah, see, I'm seeing the nostalgia in in chat. It's so clear that I'm willing to wager the majority of of my audience would at least try a Pokemon MMO. Just on name recognition alone it's also like i said it's it's a perfect game that you actually want to re-level your characters in think about that mmos have a problem with being exciting to re-level characters the only ones that really do that are the ones that have very different starter zones i think of warhammer online the ones that have different storylines different lore perspectives Um, mostly storylines i would say is probably the biggest reason as well as class and maybe um, maybe a faction has like a specific uh, restriction to what classes it can play. Those are sorts of things that makes people want to create new characters. But usually when the gameplay loop is kind of the same, people, um, there's not enough variety, right? But raising another Pokemon, it's not really doing the same thing because Pokemons have different strengths, right? They have different weaknesses. Um, uh, they have preferences. You can give them different abilities. Not every Pokemon has the same abilities, although they can get the same abilities. Based on the Pokemon, etc. There are tons of games using the Game Freak IP Pokemon illegally to create an MMO. They are fun. Check out Poke One, for instance. It's funny you say that because I literally was just looking into those. Um, I was trying to kind of like gauge what like fan created projects have done in the past and see kind of like maybe how that would represent itself in an official Pokemon MMO title. So i've looked at a couple of these one of them is actually in 3d which is pretty impressive for a fan-made project but i believe the oldest one is just kind of like the standard top-down pokemon experience where you can level them trade them battle for free um etc i think you could even um compete in the gyms uh one of the pokemon mmos the fan-made ones sorry i don't remember the name off the top of my head but one of them you could actually uh as a starter player you have to go through like the starter zone which has gyms and i think it has a final four and once you get past that then you can actually get to the next zone which allows you to pvp so they're obviously like people are thinking about this stuff and those aren't official titles so please don't sue me but um they are definitely mmos that try and emulate the pokemon experience now just to kind of show you guys um some of those on screen here's uh top five pokemon mmos so here's MMO, which is basically your standard fare for like a Pokemon game, right? Pretty standard fare. I mean, come on. You guys watch this and you're telling me that Pokemon couldn't be a big MMO? If it seems like I'm passionate about this, it's because I thought about it and I'm just like, why is no one else talking about this? Like, well, how come I haven't heard anybody else make this point? I realize it's Nintendo, so everyone's just like... Uh, Nintendo. <laughs> they don't really want to have to go through the thought experiment if they don't think the company's actually going to do anything. Huh. Here's the Pokemon 3D MMO, which is pretty interesting. Obviously, this is a little bit th- different 3D than maybe Pokemon Shield or Pokemon Sword is intending to be. Here's Pokemon Revolution Online. That one has some pretty smooth animations. And then, uh, let's see, Pokemon Revolution Online, Pokemon Plan. There's just so many Pokemon spin-off looking games. I wonder why this Pokey 1 is at the very top. I probably would learn that if I listened to the video. Ah, so they've got a different battling system. So is Pokey 1 the one that you can battle in 3D? I believe it is. Huh. That's like the Pokemon Stadium kind of thing anyway I digress Nintendo does not own Pokemon but there's no way that they'll ever let Pokemon uh, or should I say game uh, make an MMO there's no way let's see I just want to look at their uh, their bill here let's see what game freaks done in the realm of multiplayer games Oh god. I know that I'm not I'm not unveil or I'm not pulling back the veil for any of you guys who follow this or know about Game Freak or the Pokemon franchise or Nintendo. But man, they have like no multiplayer games here, dude. It's pretty depressing. <laughs> Let's go Pikachu has a co-op. Um obviously Sun and Moon and the normal Pokemon experiences all the way back to like uh, Silver, I believe. You can play, um against each other in the Pokemon battles. I'm not seeing anything else that they have here that's anything close to a multiplayer title. Which, I mean, unfortunately kind of leads credence to the the idea that they're probably not going to make a Pokemon uh, multiplayer title in the future. But that's just, that's just sad to think about. Also, Game Freak is like a really unknown company for having such a high-profile game. Probably because they always just hide behind Nintendo's name. I mean, they don't really need to rely on the strength of their own name uh, when they're played on all the Nintendo platforms. I mean, it seems like since the beginning of time, they were a Nintendo company, or at least a Nintendo focused company, which is interesting. This is a little bit of a tangent, but I'm curious what your guys' opinion is on this. We've seen certain companies that obviously have close relationships with other publishers, and I wonder, in this case, there's no evidence to suggest that Nintendo uh, has Game Freak as a subsidiary, but hear me out. What is interesting is they clearly are basically their sole publisher. I mean, I haven't seen anybody else publish their games, uh, their Pokemon games, I should say, because apparently they did some game called Timbo the Badass Elephant that was, <laughs> that was uh, produced by Sega. Yeah, I mean... All the Pokemon Pokemon games are published by Nintendo. So what I'm trying to say here is I wonder if there's a specific reason for that, and they're not just like latently a subsidiary of Nintendo, which is what you usually see whenever games like this, like Dice or companies that release uh, franchise games and they release it year after year after year. You typically see them get acquired by the company that publishes them. I think it's interesting that Game Freak isn't a con or isn't uh it isn't acquired or it isn't a subsidiary. And so I wonder, what well, how does a relationship work, you know? And for those who aren't thinking what I'm thinking, I'll, I'll illuminate. In a Pokemon game or when making a Pokemon title, obviously you've got the name recognition of the Pokemon brand, etc., etc. The thing, though, with Game Freak is that what if they can't make Pokemon games anymore? Like, let's say Nintendo says we don't want to publish you or Nintendo says we won't let you have the rights or allow you to have the rights again don't know the right situation exactly but usually if a publisher is involved they have the rights to sell that game so that's still a problem uh in particular game freak doesn't own the complete rights to pokemon because i mean that would make sense if game freak didn't completely own the rights to pokemon that would make sense because then nintendo could essentially say you guys are making a pokemon game And they, I mean, what, what can they exactly do about it? But it's just whenever your company has all eggs in one basket, it's like I struggle to call it a business because if you think about it, a business doesn't just put out one thing generally and especially in the, the world of gaming, a, a business or a developer is not just going to put out one type of game typically when it does. It has to be successful, otherwise they just fail. I mean, we've talked about this on the series uh, on Death of a Game before, but we have games that are clearly they're not bad games, right, but maybe they don't necessarily have the full brunt of the Nintendo squad to help them with um uh marketing or whatever else. If they can't make Pokemon games anymore, what is Game Freak going to make? You know that random question, right but what what would they make? I wonder? And why are they so tied to Nintendo when it comes to making Pokemon games? There must be some kind of rights here that I don't know about. Ah, okay, Germa 2 says, it's split between Game Freak Nintendo and apparently a third party. So again, that makes perfect sense. You see how like every question you have, you can essentially find the answer to it in some way, whether direct or indirect. We asked the question of why is Game Freak only making Pokemon games? And well, I think we know why now. Because they don't own uh, their franchise, and you know, incomplete anymore. So they kind of need Nintendo. Which creates this weird interdependency. Which you don't really see that often. Except from like EA companies. EA creates an interdependency. Because they own you. But Nintendo doesn't own Game Freak. But it's almost as if they do indirectly. The third party is a company called Creature. Huh. Man, this is really interesting. I, I hope that there's a Pokemon MMO. I'd love to look into all of this. I appreciate that. But... Talked way too much about Pokemon. Sorry about that. <laughs> okay. Um. So I mentioned the Skyrim Together mod, which obviously is a Skyrim mod that allows you to play with your friends. Apparently, there was some recent uh, news that apparently the, there was a previous programmer who was working on the Skyrim Together project who kind of had this like not a magnum opus, but what do you call it when it's just like a big reveal? He just like revealed a bunch of information. Apparently, he was forced off the team because even though he was the programmer, the other guy that was involved in the project had more like say. He started introducing a uh, donation um, drive and and um, Patreon and that sort of stuff. And this is all stuff I've read and, 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 and kind of gone through and pieced together on uh, the Reddit. But um, this is my first time reading this particular thread concerning what exactly was stolen. It says right here that the authors denied it. And when when they say authors, they're talking about the current authors. As, you know, what I was just saying, um, sorry, I didn't start that off as uh, best as I could. But um, what, what they mean by that is that there was one developer in particular who kind of was like a big brain behind the project. Kind of got forced out of the project. Well, he's the one that kind of spilled the beans. He spilled the beans that they were stealing SKSE code, right? Which they do not own. And I do not believe is really fair or just if you don't credit them. Like it's one thing to use a community created code or server, but it's another thing to use it, put it in your game and then essentially sell it to somebody Now, you might be asking how exactly are they selling it? Because obviously they can't sell anything, right? They can't sell anything um, concerning it because they don't have the rights to sell it. I mean, they get squashed by Bethesda overnight, right? But at the same time, you look up their uh, Patreon. If I can spell together. And this is what has people kind of morally questioning it all. If they're stealing code, not admitting it, forcing one of their developers out, and then trying to cover the story up, and they're getting paid $25,000 per month to do all of this. Obviously, that's kind of the problem with some people. They're thinking, why are we paying for something that you're essentially not even doing yourself? It's not even original code, right? And by the way, <laughs> for for the programmers out there, the comp sci majors, I realize people steal code all the time, right? But when it gets caught and in this case when it's a higher profile case, it's obviously problematic right because there has to be some sort of like middle ground where we can trust that if we're going to put money into somebody even if it's on a uh, voluntary basis like a patreon there has to be some level of trust right that what they're doing is right and what they're doing is not uh, morally wrong right i guess this is the exact problem that was mentioned when mod for money was tried and And that's the unfortunate problem about it as well, Limboss. That's a good point. When you introduce money into the equation, you introduce the the propensity to 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 do things that are morally questionable, <laughs> whether it be a reviewer who gets paid or gets a free game or it's a all expenses trip to where Bali wherever the hell right uh they're part of the e a game watcher program and et cetera. Whatever their, th- <laughs> oh, sorry, <laughs> a little bit of shade there. But um, anyway, like Limposs said, when you introduce money into the equation, it really muddies the water, right? It muddies the legality, right? It, it muddies, um, is Bethesda going to squash us? It muddies that. It also muddies <clears throat> if you as a person can trust in this company, or in this case, just a mod team, right? That's the thing is, it's, this is a mod team. I'm just bewildered by 25,000 per month. That's a lot to make a mod in a Skyrim game. I know Skyrim is a massive game and quite possibly one of the biggest games of all time. But then I'm also like, do we need to get there like this? Can we get there maybe in a little bit better of a way? It's morally questionable, but let's put it this way. If Todd right now showed up and was like, you know what, you guys are right. This is morally questionable. We're going to steal all of their code <laughs> and make a Skyrim co-op game for you guys. I think most of us would buy it. I think most of us. I think we're kind of like... We, we, we can talk about Fallout 76 because Fallout 76 is so clearly flawed and not a typical Bethesda game. But Skyrim co op, I mean, I think we found the end for Todd to sell another Skyrim copy to us. <laughs> I honestly think Bethesda's watching this with an earnest eye. They're curious, what can this mod team do that we can't? I'm just kidding. <laughs> but they're thinking, what can they do with this so we can swoop in at the last second, take advantage of it, and then basically steal their idea? That, that's kind of what I'm thinking, right? I'm thinking. Why is Bethesda, or or even, like, is Todd at his desk right now thinking, them together, huh? Another $60 game. I like that. <laughs> Sweet child, that game can't possibly still print that much money. <laughs> Don't give him any ideas. Yeah, he's watching right now, <laughs> taking notes. Um. Anyway, look there's mo- hopefully there's more information concerning this. It comes out. Um, I actually read an eye test or an eyewitness testimony, or actually I think it was a personal account from the developer that was forced off the team. Um, unfortunately, I don't really feel like looking for it right now. So I'll have to hope that I find it later on and show it to you guys. I think it got removed a couple of times because obviously the guy was making a lot of like blames that people couldn't, Uh, confirm so I think they kind of removed his thread a couple of times but then they eventually let it stick on the uh, on the I believe it was the game subreddit I have to find that one again but this guy makes a good point here this user uh, what's his name Derek Hallen says I wish that 35k could just go to the SKSE team I'm not a patron of this project but if the SKSE team were able to take donations I would have thrown at least $10 a year since I started modding five plus years ago. You guys work hard and you're truly the backbone of the modding community for BGS games. You don't deserve the fallout from this or have Bethesda ZeniMax put any scrutiny on you for it. And that's a good point. If it is involving their code and they're also involved in the drama, they kind of by association are also involved in this drama. And so I think that's a good point that he makes here. And it's also a good point that SKSC has done fantastic work and fantastic work for... for uh, Skyrim now, for how many years? Like six years, I think it's been out. For, for those who aren't involved in the moderating community uh, or modding community, you probably have no experience with SKSE. But if any of you have ever played modded Skyrim, you've probably heard about a script editor before, as it allows for a lot of the more complicated mods to kind of uh, work ef- effectively, right? Or work, period, actually. <laughs> Otherwise, you get those big, blocky, purple, missing textures and all that other good stuff. Forgot about 76. So, uh, I think everybody wants to forget about 76 at this point. <laughs> Moderating? That's me. They made GTA San Andreas multiplayer mods, so I'm surprised that no one made the same for TES games, actually. I- I'm surprised by that, too. The one for Morrowind, though, Limpos is very clunky and unfortunately very annoying to set up. I highly doubt most people have experienced it or will experience it. And I've said I'm saying that from experience. I actually, um, I haven't myself. <laughs> Obviously a huge Morrowind fan, and more specifically, a huge uh Elder Scrolls fan who would love the opportunity to play an Elder Scrolls game online. And don't you dare say Elder Scrolls online, okay? Nobody say ESO. Or oh, you're you're getting a hundred percent banned if you say ESO. No, I'm just kidding. But maybe card feels like banning one of you. I never feel like banning people. Just kidding. I like banning people too. We all like banning people. Nah, I like I like banning people who think they're above being banned. Okay. So it's more the it's more the memes. gta4 had basic multiplayer that's a good point all right we're gonna talk about artifact check it out these are the current artifact numbers from 27 minutes ago 24 hours ago and um i think uh, is it how many months is that about five months four or five months so the game's now been launched for about four to five months And obviously, its initial success was, you know, massive, right? It's the the Valve name. It's Artifact. It's going to get a big audience initially. Their audience started at a size of concurrent players, 60,000. All-time peak of concurrent players. That's monstrous numbers, right? Within a single month, they had dropped to 46,000. Now, I don't feel like doing the math at the top of my head, but obviously that's about a $14,000 difference. Uh Sorry, $1,000. A 14,000 person difference, which is probably statistically speaking, um, let's see. So it's probably 20, nearly 20%, right? A nearly, a near 20% drop in players. Another month passes and they drop all the way down to 7,000 players or 6,700 players, about 25%. I appreciate that. Somebody crunched the math um, in chat for me. One month after that, 6,700 players. Now, obviously, this is the biggest drop, right? The first month faded away and then they had to face the music. That's what I like to say. After, after an online game launches for a couple of months, it's almost like, they're facing the music because many online games are just like they start celebrating before they even pass the finish line. They're just like, yeah, we, a million subs like SWOTOR, Woo-hoo, a million subs, biggest Star Wars game ever. Like people always celebrate in these multiplayer games before they even like get past the fucking finish line. And I, and I, I can't help but feel like Valve was, separate, or was, was uh, celebrating right around here. They're probably like, yes, this can work. And then a month after that, that drop in players, this opens your eyes. This monk has this issue. Even if you don't care about Valve or care about Artifact or card games, period. When you see that drop from 6,700 players to, you know, from 46,000 players to 6,700 players, that's huge. That's a 40,000 player drop in concurrent players. That's a massive drop. Fast forward one more month, guys and we're already down to 1700 players this month we've reached as low as 30 minutes ago 437 players now i mentioned all of these statistics and show you these charts to kind of show you my process of like how i end up determining if something is what i would call dead or not now my next video star trek as i've said before a little bit different it's a special video it's not the typical is it dead video but the artifact video it's looking like it's going to be a, is it going to die? Because clearly this is a mass exodus of players, right? Losing over like 80% of your audience is a huge drop in players, right? I mean, even even if we just do the math, uh, 4,600, right? Divided by two. Sorry, 46,000 divided by two. 23,000 that just that just gives you the numbers right there when you cut things in half it's so much easier to understand the statistics of it and man, it's just crazy to see them drop over eighty percent of their players at least over eighty percent of their players. I'm sure someone in chat will give me the exact number but um <laughs> just make uh just make three or or multiply it by three you know that, that makes me that makes me think what really stops um what stops Steam from kind of tampering with numbers like this? Not not accusing them of anything. Please don't sue me, Gabe. But I, I just wondered about that. That kind of is like a bit of a revolution. That's a little bit scary to think about. Because, well, first, actually, I take that back. If you come from the world of MMOs, you're pretty used to games and developers not giving you population numbers. They never give you population numbers. And I often get asked, like... Oh, the game has X amount of players. Like what do you consider to be a dead game? <clears throat> I don't I don't know exactly, right? Like exactly what's considered a dead game? Well, literally we can use that as a definition. Literally dead is probably going to classify as dead. But 400 players when your initial concurrency was 60,000 players? I think that's a big enough drop to warrant, uh, maybe this game isn't going to make it. Right? And that's essentially what the Death of a Game series sort of is implying. This one probably isn't gonna make it. You meant any game part three, gotcha. It's going to be pretty rough for that game to recover considering one of the main issues is very much gameplay related. That's a good point, Pinzero Works. I appreciate that point. Um, I I noticed that as well. It's funny you mentioned that, because I told Card This that if I was going to do a video on Artifact, I was going to have to play the game and really get to understand its gameplay aspects and design. Now, I told you guys before on the podcast that you don't need to play every game to understand it. Some games are very easy to understand. Card games, on average, you kind of have to play a card game, because they play similar on the surface, but they have very different obvious mechanics, in the case of Artifact at least. It kind of plays in a way as like a moba card game so now you're having this moba card game experience but no it's i will certainly have to learn more about artifacts game theory to understand why it's not really resonating because he's right pin zero's right in the sense that it's clearly not just because of the negative stigma it's not just the business model right because the business model Is a $20 business model. And I've heard some gripes about this. And what I find interesting about the TCG community is they're almost like blind to certain things because they've been exposed to it for so long. But I think about fans who say, oh, but the reason why Artifact doesn't work is because it costs $20. And then I'm thinking to myself, have you ever played a card game seriously? Like, when I mean seriously, I mean more than like a couple hours a week, a couple hours period. I'm talking like dozens of hours, maybe even hundreds of hours. If you've ever, or anyone here has ever played a card game in any serious capacity, you will unequivocally spend money. Right, let me, let's go big screen on that. You will spend a lot of money on a card game. It is a guarantee that you will spend money on a card game, just as much as is a guarantee that you will spend money on a on a tabletop game. Okay, these are games that you have to spend money. You have to keep spending money on it. Thing about digital and the drive to digital with card games is that unfortunately cards are losing their same values now MTG obviously has existed now for 30 something years <clears throat> 40 I think and is a massively popular uh very successful card game now MTG had problems going online as well in multiple different occasions and its best effort online in terms of its fairness its business model all of that I would probably say is MTG Online which allows you to trade cards sell them for value buy them for value, etc now Digital games these days and digital card games aren't allowing you to have that same ability, which is strange, right? Because that's kind of the main aspect of a card game is collecting tcg trading card game Most of these games and these digital games aren't tcgs This is like a strong distinction that I want people to understand a TCG is a trading card game. A trading card game means that you own the card that you, that you have. Because if you're going to trade it, you kind of have to have some level of ownership over it. So in MTG, when I own a particular card, that is my card. Let's say I got that from a booster pack and it has X value. But I already have three of that card. So what do I do with this extra card? Do I break it down for a fourth or a fifth of the dust like in Hearthstone? No. Right? Why would I do that? It's a TCG. I have a physical card. I just go up to my friend and say, hey, do you want to trade me something for this card? He trades me something of equal or comparable value. I move on. That's how TCGs work. The problem with CCGs or uh, I think, I think is, it, is the term CCG that people like to use these days? Sorry, I want to get the terminology right. Last time on the podcast, we talked about people don't get the terminology correct. I don't just want to call it a CCG. If people don't think that that's kind of the term that they usually use. So I'd like I'd like to hear some comments and chat for, for from opinions of different people to kind of see what they think. The OCG <laughs> that just sounds like online card game. It was CCGs back in the 90s and early 2000s. Yeah, that that's what I remember, too. I remember it being CCGs when I was young as well, um, but maybe it is OCG. Point being, I'm trying to make a clear distinction between a game that allows you to own a card and trade it for the value versus just collecting a card, aka you don't actually own it and you, and you can't actually trade it. Now, when you look at a game like Hearthstone, Hearthstone has a card system which doesn't allow you to trade, doesn't allow you to actually own your cards and doesn't allow you to get the full value of your cards. And what I mean by that is that if you have duplicates, you have to break them down into the dust, which is inherently a thing that lessens the value of the card. So all the while, when you play a game like Hearthstone, you put let's say you play a game like Hearthstone for free. And first, for anybody who's ever played Hearthstone or anybody who's ever gotten to Legend rank or anything close to Legend rank, like rank top three or whatever, you know how unbelievably difficult it is to get to Legend with a free deck. It's hard. Have people done it? Yes professional players have done it. And that's another thing that drives me insane about Hearthstone. You don't need to spend money. If I'm a pro player or good enough to beat 99% of players, yeah, you're right. I don't need to spend money, right? Um, I don't think LeBron James needs his LeBron shoes in order to dunk on me, right? LeBron James could put on flip-flops and dunk on me. Like <laughs> he could just dunk on me in flip flops. He doesn't. He doesn't even need the shoes. <laughs> uh, Pin zero says Hearthstone's system is pretty sneaky. Basically, get less value out of every pack you open that straight up doesn't give you a card that you want or need. And that's that. That's a good point. You should... <laughs> I know. I'm I'm pulling the curtain over or from over your eyes, limpos. All this time, everybody got uh, everybody told you guys that Jordans and Nikes they were gonna make you fly, right? They were gonna make you dunk. I'm sorry. It's not the shoes, (laughs) it isn't the shoes. It's the player. And just because a top player can be successful at Legend in Hearthstone doesn't change the fact that the vast majority of players have to spend a lot of money in order to be viable. They have to spend a lot of money in order to be viable. From my personal experience of playing Hearthstone, played it for six years, closed beta, open beta live and throughout different seasons i can say that that game you're at least going to spend fifty dollars at least going to spend fifty dollars if you want to have a good time with a new pack or sorry a new uh wing they call it in card games which is like essentially a new expansion or module whatever terminology works best for you (laughs) if you're if you're going to do that sort of thing um, you got to at least spend $50. If you want to have some sort of fun in Hearthstone, you got to spend like 50 bucks. Like that's what I've found personally. Feel free to disagree with me. That's my opinion. But that's kind of what I've seen. Like 50 bucks will get you enough packs that you can kind of break down the dust on the legend Oh, let's talk about that. So in Hearthstone, you can have gold cards which are legendaries or you can have purple cards which are epics. Now get this. What if you pull a legendary for a complete random class that you've never ever played and have zero intention of playing? Guess what? You automatically, as pin zero says, lose that value. And that's the problem with CCGs. That's the problem with OCGs. That's the problem with non-TCGs, is that ultimately speaking, you don't own that value. That's the difference. People ask, what's the difference between a TCG and a loot box? You open a booster pack, there's nine cards. Maybe you get one rare. There's a chance for a rare. But that's how is that any different than a loot box? People, people ask that all the time. Well, let's, uh, let's tip the fedora for that one, all right? Because there's a huge difference, right? The main difference is that loot boxes, if I open a Overwatch loot box right now, I have the chance to win two different white pieces of gear, probably. An emote, maybe, if if it's one piece of gear. A white piece of gear, an emote, and maybe a rare piece of armor. The chances of getting the armor, I don't know the statistics off the top of my head. It's pretty low. Now, what happens if I get that white armor, which is essentially a skin that has next to no value, right? Like the a white card, just like in TCGs, it's 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 a you know, it's a neutral card. Like people have millions of those. <laughs> it would be interesting to see a car game that didn't do that type of system do you mean an ocg or a tcg or do you mean like you'd like for it to have a more like you can buy exactly what cards you want all these cgs you're starting to think that Nerd is making them up on the fly <laughs> no 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 i'm just trying to make the main point to you guys that with a loot box you don't own the skin you do not own the skin this is proven because at any point overwatch can ban my account i no longer own that skin that white skin that essentially is the equivalent of that let's say i spent five books on my loot box and i got a white skin which is probably the equivalent of what like 50 cents if you look at valve market the lowest level skins are like 30 cents it's basically so inconsequential that it's it's worthless now maybe they also give me an emote maybe that emote's worth a dollar if i'm being generous right now, I've gotten the value out of my loot box. Maybe I get one more thing, let's be extra generous. It's a nice skin, it's a nicer skin, it's a blue skin. It's like $2 skin. Okay, $3.30 out of my $5 I spent on my loot box. I've lost value just literally opening the box. (laughs) Just opening the box, I already lost my money. Now in a TCG, let's say the same scenario happens. A trading card game for those who aren't understanding what tcg means i open the loot box i have the white thing that costs 30 silver 30 you know cents and i'm like hmm i could keep it and use it as a filler card or i could just basically trade it as junk like sell it for junk that's what it's worth right but that skin that i didn't want right or that epic character that i didn't want let's say i got that legendary character i pulled the legendary card This card has X amount of value. The card itself has the value. As long as I keep the card and own the card, I have that value. But at any point, I can trade that card to somebody else, and I'm going to get at least comparable to whatever the value of it is. I think I've made that point to you guys to understand what the differences are. And so to bring this back to Artifact, into why there's been drama surrounding Artifact, Artifact charges everybody a $20 box price. Now, the reason they charge a $20 box price, I actually want to read. I don't misquote anything, but let's go to their Steam page. Six out of ten reviews, mostly negative, recent. Ouch. Okay, so let's see what it gives us whenever we buy the pack. All right, here we go. Artifact comes with a five card pack, two event tickets, 15 more card packs, 15 additional event tickets as you play also received two starter decks each with 40 cards and nine items that's $20 that's actually pretty fair now it might sound strange cuz i was just kind of railing against this kind of concept right but but i think that's actually fair and the reason why it's fair is because i'm thinking about perceived amount of money uh perceived costs that i have to spend in order to get good at something <clears throat> or in the case of a card game i have to build a deck Now, to to describe what I'm talking about here, I will look up a deck price uh, list. Now, for those who follow MTG, you're very, very aware of such things. So, here's different cards. You can see their uh, values. I'll look at some metagame decks. And the beauty about this is it lets you know how much money you're going to spend, basically, if you want to get this kind of deck. And so let's say um, I have a lot of money to spend. I want to spend like $500 on a deck. This is the kind of deck I get, right? I get this Esper Control deck. It's 9 point whatever percent of the meta. It's a $516 deck that's been 5-0 before, meaning it's, one, it's went all the way to the top. Which means it's a good deck. Sorry for those who don't play the game. If you can go 5-0, you're pretty good. So I know exactly how much it costs. I know, generally speaking, all the cards combined is going to run me $512. Pretty expensive, right? But why is that the case? Because the next season, or the next module, or next wing, whatever you'd like to call it, those cards aren't just immediately useless. That's not how, that's not how ranked works, right? The, the constructed set, you keep the set up to a certain point based on previous sets. So you might uh, get rid of legacy sets in your card game but you're going to keep certain sets, right? And so you don't just immediately lose the value of your cards whenever a new meta comes out. That happens in Hearthstone all the fucking time. (laughs) All the time. That does not happen as much in MTG because MTG has a lot more like legacy kind of cards and legacy mechanics, in my opinion. It doesn't always try and introduce like new and crazy mechanics. Anyway, what I also wanted to illustrate is that there are cheaper decks. You can get a budget deck. A budget deck as as the name implies is a deck for someone that maybe doesn't have the most money to spend these decks are typically going to be more simplistic they're going to be aggro decks they're going to be mid-range decks they're going to be decks that aren't incredibly complicated because more complicated decks almost inherently cost more money that's just typically how it goes so you know i'm 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 gonna spend online five bucks apparently for for this uh uh deck whereas to get it from Card Kingdom, you know, the paper edition, it's gonna run me $90. But again, let's say I spend $90. I don't like the deck. I'm like, eh, I'm gonna sell it. I can get some of that money back, right? I might even be able to get the same amount of money back. With games like Artifact, you don't really own your card. And of course, Valve is brilliant in that they allow you to go through their shop. So you're not really trading it for money, right? But kind of trading it for money because there's web services out there that exist that allow you to trade your valve steam bucks for actual cash there's so much middle ground here and honestly having this conversation with you guys now realizing that i'm ranting a little bit anytime i rant it tells me there's so much here there's so much to talk about with artifact so we'll just save that for the artifact death of a game and soon Gotta buy a life-size Velociraptor. <laughs> I wish these sites existed when I played. Oh, I know, trust me. My friend showed me this site. I watched people drop $800 on new cards in one go. I mean, if you're a collector, $800 is probably like a up, right? People who buy box, uh, box sets and try and flip them spend hundreds and thousands of dollars on the cards. Think about that. Isn't that crazy that MTG literally has the kind of economy where you can make a living by selling event tickets on MTGO. Event tickets are used to participate in tournaments. You can make a living just selling event tickets. You can make a living selling cards. You can make a living trading with, uh, and trading and selling cards, rather. Like There's not a whole lot of different careers or loot boxes that allow you to have a career out of it. So don't compare a loot box to a T. It's <laughs> not really the same thing. I-, I think it's like a super, very elementary argument. Too much tipping. It had the potential to really change up the OCG market a good bit. Just a, a bit of a shame that the actual game wasn't all that great. And that's something we didn't even talk about today, <laughs> which basically confirms that we have so much to talk about concerning Artifact, which is always exciting. All right, let's go ahead and move ahead to the MMOs on the Go segment. I think I'm done with my uh, current gaming news. I didn't have a lot of topics this week that really interested me. Um, Lots of kind of airy topics, I like to call them, which is like I could sit here and talk and pretend I care about it, but that's not really all that exciting. So the MMOs on the Go segment, of course, is a segment of the podcast where we specifically highlight and talk about MMOs or multiplayer games. Now, in this week's news, obviously this is following the previous week's news concerning the layoffs at ArenaNet and uh guild wars 2 now as the article on screen says it should have the exact amount if not i know the exact amount okay there's the exact amount 143 arena net and guild wars 2 devs have been laid off now at first glance this was kind of marketed and sold as like oh we're just closing off those that are working on other projects guild wars 2 is not going to be affected guys it's not going to be affected at all like Business as usual. Well, when you lose 143 devs, which is, by the way, over 25% of your entire development team, it's not just because they were working on other projects, which is confirmed. When we scroll down, and by the way, I called bullshit last week. I hope you guys believe me. I hope you guys believe me. <laughs> no, but I called bullshit last week. I always call bullshit on these fucking press releases. Sorry, I get annoyed at these press releases because they're just like... I feel like when you read them, they're like, you got to have this like going in the background. First, let me, you know, get the empathy out of the way. I'm sorry for those who lost their job. I love ArenaNet as a company. I grew up on ArenaNet. I, I mean, I grew up on, on many of these same names. That's the depressing thing is that at first glance, we thought it was just going to be a bunch of like no name, low level entry positions that's not the case guys they've lost some serious hitters they've lost josh foreman who as this you know explains here worked there for 15 years G- uh, gail gray worked there for 18 years these are names that i remember when i was playing guild wars 1 <laughs> these are such old legacy names it's depressing to see them go josh uh gail and also there's one more person i don't know if it was it was colleen or um um was it connie point being they they also let go of one of their biggest uh um developers known for the lore i believe in guild, one of the guild wars one lore devs it's depressing it's it's sad to see these companies um have to lay off these many people Uh, this many people rather because essentially mismanagement right it's when you talk about layoffs it's an empathetic scenario where you have to be very careful with just being like how how could you because companies they have to fire people sometimes and sometimes people quit and sometimes things happen sometimes games fail this stuff happens right but in the case of ArenaNet and Guild Wars 2, the reason why this isn't really the typical scenario, was it Hannah? Or uh, sorry, you said haha. ha. <laughs> um, the reason why this isn't a typical scenario is releasing or firing 143 of your workforce, which is, by the way, a 400-person workforce. Releasing that many people at one time means that you mismanaged your company. There's no way around it. You don't have a mass layoff, and eh, it's all good, guys. Woo, mass layoffs. Can't wait for the next round next year or next month. Like, that's not how they work, right? Mass layoffs happen because projections. Uh, people on a board, in this case, NCSoft, looked at their board over there in Korea and said, hmm, Guild Wars 2 makes less money than Aeon does, or Ion does. It makes, or sorry, it makes 3K more than Ion does sorry in in korean one makes three thousand more uh million or is it is it million one i think it was million one was i'm trying to remember what the financials i think it was yeah it was it was it was millions krw in the millions anyway arena nets knows ncsoft knows guild wars 2 doesn't make more money than blade and soul it doesn't it makes less it barely makes more money than ion does okay there's reasons for this, and we went over these last week, so I'm not going to go over them again, but put it this way. Do not trust people when they lay off 143 people of a company and try and tell you that everything's going just fine because I'm sorry, they're lying. It's not. It's, it's corporate speak. You say that because you kind of got to keep appearances. That's what you do. That's what your job is to do. And the perfect example of this is Telltale literally folded overnight, right? They folded overnight. Their employees woke up and were like, wait, we're folding? What? So that's why you never trust the idea of business as usual. Because unless you're in that inner circle, you don't really know what's going on. And I mean, obviously, the inner circle at Guild Wars 2 is aware that they're in a bad predicament. We discussed this last week, so I'll go over it briefly. They're in a bad predicament in that they either have to make a monetization change, which is very likely, unfortunately, for Guild Wars 2, or they can't really produce that same kind of content that they've been producing. 400 employees at your company, that's mismanagement. Sorry, ArenaNet. Sorry, Guild Wars 2. Poorly mismanaged. If you have 400 people and you have to fire 143 of them, it means that your eyes were that big, right? Whereas your stomach was that big. You guys ever heard that saying? Your eyes are bigger than your stomach? They thought they were going to do much better than they did. And that's why they have to fire all of these people. To put it simply. Exactly. You've got to keep those investors happy. And ultimately speaking, as we've gone over with ArenaNet and Guild Wars 2, and ultimately NCSoft, if you're successful in Korea, whew. Sweat off your shoulders. Sweat off your brow. Safe. If you're not doing well in Korea, which Guild Wars 2 has never done well in Korea, NCSoft, they shut down City of Heroes when it was successful. They shut down City of Heroes when it was making money. Why? Because City of Heroes never took off in korea and i outlined that in my city of heroes death of a game it is kind of said that guild wars 2 isn't doing better because perception doesn't match success in this case oftentimes perception is easily matching the success right now what i mean by this is we see apex uh legends one million players within a day great success it's A free-to-play game though. So it's like, great success. It's free to fly. So like, that's a good number. But how much of those are actually making money for them? Whereas for ArenaNet, the base game is free. But you got to pay for the expansions. And the only microtransactions they mainly have are things like costumes, uh, money, skins, dye, that that, that sort of stuff. Mostly cosmetic. Guild Wars 2 is pretty good in that it doesn't have unfair microtransactions or pay-to-win microtransactions. What if I told you? That could be why it's not doing well. Right? And when I say doing well, please understand anytime I ever say doing well, it's relative. It's always relative, right? Guild Wars 2, unequivocally, is one of the most popular MMOs in the Western world, far none. This is proven by every metric you could possibly imagine. And yet, why aren't they a big financial success? The simple answer is. In order to be a financial success, in this day and age, at the highest level of success, you gotta be a little bit morally questionable. I'm sorry, that's just how the MMO market is working right now. NC Soft, mmm, right? That's how we feel about eh. Nexon, that one's got a little bit more for me. Nexon, uh Bluehole, eh? You know? <laughs> Pearl Abyss. These companies. Their business models, I don't know. I don't really trust them in the same way that I trust a business model in Guild Wars 2. But at the end of the day, they're making more money. So when it comes to running a company and how and, and deciding how big your company is going to be or your subsidiary is going to be. Money, money, money. Exactly. That's a that's a really good point. Um Retinaru, I appreciate that if something is a success not because it's making money, but by comparing the money It makes to other things. It's always going to fail, fail. Sorry compelled to something more morally questionable That's that's really good logic. I appreciate that it makes sense And it's because ultimately speaking if someone is willing to be morally questionable They will make more money than you that's just been proven to me time go watch wall street like the movie go watch both wall streets go watch um uh wall street if you if you live near new york just go watch people in that kind of world those are people whose minds work a million miles per hour are also people who are a little bit morally questionable right won't we say the same thing about a lawyer a little bit questionable (laughs) we are such bad as consumers I mean, depends on how, what you mean by bad. <laughs> From a corporate perspective, we're great consumers. We buy shit without ever looking it up. We buy shit without reading reviews. We buy the same wild card games over and okay. Let you know what I'll save that wild card rant for later. I I want to rant so bad about wild card. No, you know what? I, I'll do it now. eh? I want to get it out of the way. We're talking about people making bad consumer decisions. Let me show or look no further than making one of the worst consumer decisions you can make, period. And that's trusting in the company known as Wildcard. Let's go on a wild journey to uncover the company Wildcard Studios. Now, I've done this a little bit before and it was really really entertaining, so I felt like doing it uh now because there's been some new wrinkles to the story. And with new wrinkles come new storytelling i guess i'm not sure where to go with the with the wrinkle analogy okay now for those who aren't familiar with who wildcard is they are the company behind arc survival evolved now if you haven't heard of arc survival evolved and you've been living under a rock <laughs> this is the perception of the game <clears throat> overall 69 percent over 165,000 user reviews, and still has a pretty good population. Pretty good, pretty good numbers. 38,000 concurrent, that's healthy. That is beyond healthy. Now the beautiful thing about Wildcard for me is that they started as an ARK survival company. I'm good at shooting right that's all they were they were just some small hands. private company who came up with the idea of doing Arc, right. They took this engine, which was totally bare bones, had this grand vision for what their game would be, had none of it included at launch. So all you got when Arc Survival was first out in its early access was basically broken game, buggy game, no content, blah 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 blah. exploits, hackers. The whole nine yards now the game sold an expansion in early access then launched years later in uh in in its full launch in 2017 so it's been out now for two years actually it might be just one year yeah just one year yeah huh no eh, it's like a year and a half so Arc survival evolved has been launched for a year and a half, but it's been out. As far as I can remember, since 2000, was it 14? I believe they had the playable beta or alpha, sorry, <laughs> the early access alpha. Now, you might be wondering, well, Wildcard doesn't seem that bad. They weren't, they were just a random company who made a game and had great success. Now, where the problems are introduced is when Wildcard gets acquired, right? This is when everything gets interesting. enter snail games in 2017 wildcard was acquired by a company named snail games a chinese company that most people never heard of except if you followed dark and light if you followed dark and light which was a you know very famous uh, infamous game really in the early 2000s That was supposed to be this grand and amazing experience that never really became anything. Now, it's something that I definitely will cover on the channel, but it's not as um, popular as other stories. So, right now, it's a little bit more on the back burner. Point being, Dark and Light MMO, the original. It was rumored to have come out, I think... uh... Is it 2006? Yeah. So, 2006. Was a pay-to-play fantasy MMORPG developed by Reunion Island by MP Cube and published by Farland Entertainment and released on June 6, 2016. This game was basically what you would describe as kind of like vaporware, right? It, it, <laughs> it was a game that was promised in so many different ways and, and so much was promised with it that basically, next to none of it, came to fruition. Now... So, That this is actually the same game or same franchise that later gets pushed and launched by snail games that's why it sounds familiar to you guys you've likely heard of dark and light the steam game that kind of had a lukewarm eh, response right this was kind of them trying to say that hey we're gonna do dark and light again guys right? Like we're going to make this a game. We're going to make this game. We're going to launch it. It's going to be a great experience. It's going to be an MMO, a survival MMO, right? That was kind of how it was built. The problem with snail games for me is that after acquiring Studio Wildcard, they blatantly were just taking the same engine and making other games. with. And it's as if I was like the only one seeing this. That was the weirdest thing to me. And I understood why people were being caught off guard by this. It's because Snail Games creates new companies to publish. So it publishes under like almost... What would you like to call it? Shell companies? Right? Shell companies? We have talked about it before. But as I've said, there's been new wrinkles to this. As you'll see, which makes the story even more interesting. Dark and Light came out in 2017, or the Early Access came out in 2017. They did Pixar. They did the Ark Park. Blah, blah, blah. Now, if I look up Ark Survival. So, if, if you just saw that, Snow Games only had, like, maybe two or three games they were publishing. Now, when I go to... Sorry, not Survival, the Fittest, Dear Lord. Studio, Studio Wildcard. Developer. Or Instinct Games. Wait a minute. Guys, seeing what I'm seeing? I thought Wildcard was the developer on this game. Who the hell is Instinct Games? Why do they have different games on their list? Why do they have Atlas on their list? Wildcard doesn't have Atlas on their list. Why? Why doesn't Wildcard have Atlas on their list? Because they literally are creating another company using the same assets and making the different same game and it's it's so blatant to me that people don't see this and they keep buying these games thinking that they're going to get a different experience at this point it is completely irrational like i click here on instant games and i go to atlas right wait a minute you guys seeing what i'm seeing here why is there another developer who's grape shot games ape shot games who the hell is that i never heard of them before it's almost as if they were a company invented to launch atlas Sorry, Rock Paper Shotgun. You ain't getting it. Here we go. We've got some information. Grapeshot Games is both the developer and publisher of Atlas or sorry, Atlas, with co developer Instinct Games. Grapeshot Games was founded by two co founders of Arc Survival Evolved behind Studio Wildcard, Jeremy Stiglitz and Jesse Rapsack. Yeah, that's a hard to uh, pronounce name. Rapsack. You guys. You guys on the on the same you know crush I am like, is anyone else seeing this? Am I crazy here? I, I is is the mystery unraveling for you guys? Grape Shot Games is the same company, and why would they change the name? Like, what's the conceivable reason to not just do it under the same company? Well, perception, right? If your game's not positively received it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to launch it under the same company because it's going to have a negative history right it's going to have a negative stigma and it's likely going to sell less because of that so what they're doing what snail games is doing ever since they acquired this company because by the way wildcard wasn't doing this before they were just a regular normal small company that basically hit it big with arc survival no no more complicated than that right but after they were acquired by snail games 2 years ago a chinese company which literally churns out copycat cat games sorry copycat games now we're starting to see the same thing with wildcard it became instinct games it became grape shot games and but wait there's even more check this out um Where is it? Oh, I need to find it. Does anyone know what the name of that that new Western game that was just uh, talked about? It's not Wetland. It's a newly announced survival game. Here we go. (laughs) I love when I find a good clue. I love being uh, a detective. All right. New open world Western game offers big change of pace from Red Dead Online. Outlaws of the Old West coming from developer Virtual Basement. Man, I'm so excited to see this game. This looks awesome. Like more Wild West experiences and and all of that sort of stuff. I can't wait, right? Can't wait. Wait. Who's Virtual Basement? (laughs) I can't make this shit up, man. I can't script that. Like, this this was the best way I could have told this story. Because I just type in virtual basement, and the first thing that comes up is ARC Survival. <laughs> it's right there. It's right there, guys. Who the hell is virtual basement? Like, who are these guys? Why do they keep creating new companies using the same engine and releasing new games? This is clearly the same engine you can tell from watching the game. They do all the same things the previous trailers do. I guarantee this is not gameplay. I am a thousand percent sure this is not gameplay. Just as if what we saw with Atlas and their trailers was not gameplay. What they do instead is show, obviously, as you guys are used to, uh, the PC audience, a very stylized and overdramatic version of what their game is supposed to look and feel like. And, and Limposs, you make a good point. There could be financial reasons, maybe, or at least financial um, possible, not precautions, but I guess I guess we could just leave it as reasons. There could be potential financial... Look at the... I'm, I'm about to... I'm about to like destroy my hat. Does anybody see this gameplay? Does this get you guys excited? Look, I'm not trying to insult you guys. You guys are intelligent. I believe all of you that watch Are intelligent everyone else is in it. No, I'm just kidding uh, But I believe the guys that watch the majority of my content are on the average side a little bit more intelligent So I have a higher opinion of you guys when it comes to making good decisions about games and <laughs> I want to show you guys something funny. If you've ever played Ark or you've ever played Atlas or you've ever played uh, Dark and Light or you've ever what other copycat Pixark um There's like a billion other games. Sorry, I'm forgetting the other versions of those games. If you've ever played any of those, you've probably recognized certain things. Like look at the way the game is playing. Just like in the other games, he literally glides on the floor when he walks. He's not, he's moving before the animations even go off. You see that? He's moving before the animation even goes off. This is called sliding, right? Animation sliding. You see this shit all the time in Unreal games, but more specifically, in Arc game, in Wild card game, in Snail games. You see the same problems. Atlas had the same problem. Uh, and and still has many of the same problems. The reason why I went through all the time to go through this again. Is that no matter how many times these guys change their developer name. Change their publisher name. It's the same fucking company. And we need to hold them accountable. So please don't get caught in the marketing of the new Outlaw Old West game. These guys are nice in that they even said it's from the ARK developers. Other articles don't even tell you that. They don't even tell you it's the ARK fucking audience or the the arc um this one this is a perfect example new open world western game offers a big change in pace from red dead online why would they sell it that way why doesn't the journalist who did this article Alessandro Ferrari why don't they take the time to carefully explain to you who these people are and tell you what to expect why don't they do any of that there's not a single mention in this entire article that this is related to ARK, that this is related to Studio Wildcard, or that this is related to Snail Games. This is fucking horrible journalism. And this is what I kept seeing pop up on my feed over and over again. And this is why I ended up wanting to do another talk about this subject, even though we have covered it before. It's like, really? When is enough enough? Like, when are we gonna start holding these people accountable, right? When they're literally misleading us. No wonder people make bad purchasing decisions. That's why I don't hold it against you guys when you make a bad purchase. Because making a bad purchase doesn't mean you're screwed for life. Like, it doesn't mean you suck for life. You make a bad purchase, you made one bad purchase. You can learn from it. You can make better purchases. You you take new information in and hopefully that allows you to make better decisions in the future. But if you keep getting sold the same games and expecting a different result, I'm sorry, you're just insane. That is the definition of insanity. And the other thing is, is that... When it comes to looking into these new open world games or these new MMOs, look into the company, guys. These games, you need to look into. Multiplayer games, you must look into the company. It is a le- living and breathing game. What a living and breathing game means is that at any point, they could add an update that kills the game overnight. They could add a microtransaction game that kills the game overnight. Single player games don't have that same level of uh, impact. So making a bad g- decision with a single player game, usually you can just kind of refund it. It's it's not the biggest loss of time or whatever else. But these open world games that are coming out dime a dozen and are all the same trend and all from the same company, just fuck off, okay? I'm tired of this shit. I've made so many bad purchases. In fact, my channel is a channel of bad purchases. <laughs> The difference is is that we're learning from this shit. We're not going to keep buying the same Chinese crap. And no, I don't mean that racially. I mean this is a Chinese company who clearly doesn't have the same care or precautions in the western market that they do whatever and and you know, whatever market they uh, per- particularly are involved in, whether it be the Chinese market or the Asian market as a whole. We've seen this with Korean developers too, right? And we need to start holding these big foreign companies accountable before one can have good taste one must first have shit taste (laughs) no I mean like what I meant by like you can make bad decisions is kind of like I I know sometimes people can take it as me being like oh you bought this game so your shit is my that's never my opinion my opinion is okay you made a bad decision then that already happened it's water over the bridge what now What decisions can you make now? Because you don't have to keep making the same decisions, right? You can change your decisions. And this is why I believe in regulation. This is why I believe in union. This is why I believe that we need more guarantees that very questionable, morally questionable, and frankly, borderline, even in some case, illegal things or completely misleading things like if exactly, pin zero, sorry, I, I, was, I was trying to get it out you you got to learn from those mistakes, but the reason why I'm okay with all that regulation, and I don't mean like just incessantly regulating, but I mean within loop boxes, regulate loop boxes, regulate the problems. The reason why i'm I'm very passionate about that is because those companies, marketers, um, advertisers, publishers, developers, they are so unbelievably good at advertising and getting your money that sometimes you don't even know why you bought it. Anyone ever bought a game here? Maybe maybe years back before you were as educated as you are now or whatever, like me. Any of you ever buy a game and you're just like, what was I thinking? Like, how did I think this is gonna be a good game? Like, of course, many of us have thought that, right? We've all made mistakes. But when you realize that you're starting to get purposely misled, that's what causes me to rant a little bit like I'm ranting now right they're trying to mislead us 1000% they're trying to mislead us and that's where you kind of need to be like look people get tricked all the time marketing works Look, like, i'm sorry guys i know people don't like to believe this unfortunately there's a lot of naive people in the world marketing works marketing works advertising works this shit works why does it work because it preys upon your deepest desires deepest function like what what do people want to do they want to feel powerful they they want that god fantasy game anthem right or someone who wants to play like an rpg they want that that story experience right so they can get sold on the story experience they can get sold on the gameplay they can get sold on the progression on the pvp whatever feature there's things that you can get sold on that can end up kind of just being I don't want to outright say a lie, but just misleading. I mean, obviously, everyone thinks about No Man's Sky initially, and there's tons of examples. So be diligent because you're not above it all, including me. Like, we all can be impacted by advertising and psychology. (laughs) All right. That's enough ranting for me, I think. That's what happens when your marketing budget is like times for the development and people who run things are only interested in profit. You get companies that are really good in selling games and not making them. Brilliant point. I appreciate that, Lichbreed. All right, let's go back to the MMOs in the Go segment because I had some more news that I wanted to unveil concerning that. Um, the podcast is not going to run too much longer. As I told you guys, I don't like to run too long. We talked about the Pokemon MMO. Let's let's do that next week, okay? Let's do the Pokemon MMO next week. Um, I mean, like, let's, let's have a soapbox segment or a call-in segment where we all just brainstorm, like, what a Pokemon MMO would look like. I kind of want to do more MMO brainstorming, because I feel like, I know, sometimes we talk about Anthem, and people are like, fuck, Anthem. <laughs> I don't care about that game. I watch you because you play MMOs. I realize that. So I'm trying to make it a more concerted effort on the podcast to have more, like, theoreticals, because I know that's fun for you guys. People ask me all the time, like, why don't you do more like build a game or like those kinds of things because they want to hear more theory they unfortunately right now there's not a whole lot of good mmos to play so theory is kind of the best we got (laughs) if you're not already bored of the current fair i mean all right so since we're gonna you know save the pokemon mmo discussion for next week we can talk about some interesting bit of news and that's concerning a new ip announced by funcom And that IP is none other than Dune. Now, for those who aren't sci-fi fans or have never read the Dune books or don't know who Frank Herbert is, go at least read the first book. It's a pretty damn good book. That being said, today Funcom announced, this was five days ago, that it entered an exclusive partnership with Legendary Studios to develop games based on the works of Frank Herbert's Dune universe. This is a six-year partnership to release at least three titles on the PC console platforms, with one planned to be an open-world multiplayer game. Now, um, I know I—it's funny. I can almost hear like the fart, like in the room, go off. Like, like people in chatter, and my side, piece, like my side view over here, my side piece, my side view over here. I could see like the fart going off—the metaphorical fart, which is kind of like really—that's what the metaphorical fart is. It's always like really you know when someone passes gas you're like really dude right now on the plane in the bus i know funcom kind of has that they kind of have that that uh persona they, they have that uh, reputation sometimes funcom is kind of the fart in the room right funcom obviously has done some great great games before a little bit further Eh, back there to the early 2000s but since then they've created a number of online multiplayer games now most famous being uh age of conan obviously and then you also have the more recent games such as secret world and then uh conan exiles now conan exiles has had a bit of a rocky history it went up it went down it went up it went down it's it's um Basically, Funcom in a nutshell. <laughs> Funcom is that company that's just, you never really know where they're going to stand. And, and I'll talk about Funcom more some other time in a video, and I've talked about them in Age of Conan. Funcom gets so much passion out of me because they're such a clear example of a company that has talent. Unequivocally, without a doubt, Funcom has a lot of talent. but Dear Lord, are they horrible at implementing it. They are bad at implementing their good ideas. <laughs> I mean, you look at Age of Conan, it's a it's a great idea implemented kind of poorly. Secret World, great idea, amazing questing system, amazing story, horrible combat, horrible performance and horrible PvP. Conan Exiles obviously, it's got its, you know, whole it's the whole open world survival game of the same vein as Ark Survival and all of that sort of stuff. I'm not trying to say it's completely comparable. I think Funcom's a little bit morally less questionable. That being said, they did miss a bunch of deadlines and Funcom is delayed tons of... Basically Funcom ain't no saint either. So if you're asking me if I'm excited because Funcom is announced or is um, the one involved in the Dune, you know, open world MMO or whatever, or open world multiplayer game, nah. be honest i'm not really excited (laughs) i know everyone wants me to be so excited and and wax poetic but there's too much evidence for me to be excited too much evidence way too much evidence to be excited also one thing i should say because there is a silver lining here for people who don't know about funcom funcom was founded um in norway and in particular Has a really good and well-known Norwegian developer. His name is. Please don't make me pronounce this, okay? Please don't make me pronounce this. But it's Ragnar, of course. I can pronounce that part. And then the last thing is Tornquist or Torn, Tornquist, Torn. Is is it Torn? I'm not sure how you pronounce it. Please don't kill me, my my fellow Scandinavians. I'm not sure how you pronounce his name. (laughs) (laughs) anyway if you don't know who i'm talking about you don't know funcom so let me illuminate um this guy is one of the best and most unknown developers for sure like he has to be he's a pride of norway this guy in particular created one of the best the best adventure series and games of all time. The longest journey or dreamfall um amazing story great writing just just conceptually even today holds up to the test of time love those games he also had a hand in none other than the secret world of course a game that's focused on lovecraftian no ideology fiction folklore all that's different stuff why not get a very strong writer and a strong creator Now, the reason why I'm bringing him up is that although he doesn't work for Funcom anymore, he does work for a company that is very closely linked with uh, Funcom, Red Thread Games. I'm just offering the little bit of a silver lining is they could get him involved in this game. And it would help. That's all I'm saying. But obviously, that's speculation. Did you guys end up pronouncing it correctly? Sorry. Form? Okay. Now we run... (laughs) Wait, is someone gonna come in chat and pronounce it for me? <laughs> that pronunciation is the new sum uh subsound. Thorn torn Tornkist? Thorn- Thornquist, Tornquist? How do you pronounce this guy's name? Thorn? Thornquist? Thorn- Thornqvist? Alright. You come in and pronounce it for everybody. Sorry, I didn't bring my headphones, or my other headphones. Limposs, I'll drag you in. Where are you at? I want to hear it from the from the, from the the bird's Is it the bird's mouth? Is that the saying? Why are my sayings all over the place today? <laughs> hey, Limposs. All right, you ready to school us? Hey. Yeah, completely ready. All right, what is it? <laughs> it's uh, pronounced turnquist. Say it again turn torn torn give us on kiss Torn twist torn kiss I can't even make that noise <laughs> <laughs> yeah, It's our special letter so yeah, not many people can say that gotcha well, I appreciate you trying to illuminate for me. Uh, unfortunately, it looks like it's falling on deaf ears. I can't even pronounce it. <laughs> That's alright. Ragnar turn torn tornvis torn torn but torn 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 torn. Mm-hmm. I'm lost. Damn it. Well, apparently, I need to go to fucking Norway and learn how to speak. (laughs) I'm triggering like all my viewers. (laughs) They're dropping by the dozens. I'm just kidding. Uh, (laughs) sorry. I love how I love how it's like almost become a meme now. Like my my horrible levels of pronunciation or pronunciation. I mean, that's perfect example of it right there. Pronunci versus pronounce um i don't know if i'm gonna get too much into the drama concerning ashes of creation and intrepid studios because it's like i mean a lot of speculation i guess i would say but the change gears a little bit here um from talking about the dune mmo or possible dune mmo there's been some recent drama concerning intrepid studios uh, who of course are the creators or creators sounds weird to say i'm sorry but before your games launched i feel weird saying creators Is that weird? Am I crazy? But anyway, the developer of Ashes of Creation or Intrepid Studios, apparently they've leaked email accounts and are now trying to censor it. So if none of you knew this, this is a bit of like weird information, but I found this out today. Apparently Intrepid Studios owns their subreddit for Ashes of Creation. For people who don't follow subreddit, this might mean basically nothing. If you don't follow Reddit, rather. But oftentimes a subreddit for a game is community driven. And there's a particular reason for that. If it's not, what difference is it than just using your forums? Right? <laughs> like you can easily just like delete, hide, shadow ban. It, it's 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 totally useless to have a developer run the um to, to have them run the subreddit. Because it just you're not going to, you can't promise that you're going to get actual information and you can trust the source because they they have skin in the game, right? They're the developers. Why, why are they gonna let you shit talk the game, right? Apparently, the email that they had sent out for a Phoenix initiative, and I'm going to assume it's because they didn't blind CC anybody. They included all of the emails. <laughs> They included all of the (laughs) emails. It's a laughing matter. I just got hacked, by the way, which we should talk about that before I leave today. But I have a crazy hack story. Anyway, um, Discord users have already been linked to their email. So now apparently their personal information is open to anyone that wishes to find it. And the problem is they were trying to censor it. Their official response so far was We're sorry. Please change your password. I don't think that's how spam works or phishing or any of the other multitude of ways that you can try and take control of somebody's uh, sensitive information through use of their email or or (laughs) the Nigerian prince's email. It's not something you should hide. This is very bad. It's not even a bad thing in itself, right? Like, Sorry, let me take that back. What I mean is like, is this a systemic problem that means that the game is overnight going to fold or is never going to be good? No, right? My.com as a publisher, if anything, is far worse publicity than this. But why is this so bad? Because there's already the my.com problems. Because there's already the shady history of the particular developer or main CEO involved in Intrepid Studios. There's already a little bit of cracks, if you want to call them that. Cracks in the armor. Chinks in the armor, right? And now, whenever you're blatantly censoring people talking about having their emails leaked, it makes people think, are you hiding something else? Are you hiding more? Are you going to mislead us? They are a Kickstarter project. Means they have people's money before they're even a finished product. So there are a lot of morally questionable shit here. And there is a lot of good reason to be suspicious. And so I don't really have anything else more to say about that because this is just the details of what we know so far. But this unfortunately does lead more credence to that ever growing and ever present ideology or belief that Kickstarter MMOs might not be the Holy Grail and might introduce even more issues. Okay. So, there is maybe... Okay. I we, We're not going to talk about Jagex working on the action RPG uh, because we kind of already mentioned that before. And it's Jagex. I mean... They could literally sit on it for like seven years and never tell us what happened to it. <laughs> oh wait, they've done that before. <laughs> the funny thing about most jokes is there's a little bit of truth. in it. Okay. Now this is one of my last, to- or this actually, this is my last topic before the call in segment. So please a reminder to everybody. If you have any questions, the call in segment is coming up. The call in segment is basically like an AMA slash question there. Uh, slash um, Just a chance to ask me questions uh, vocally too If you'd like to join Discord You can join the podcast lobby channel Queue up a question with card If you don't have time to chat on Discord with me And we are obviously a little bit more pressed for time So I'll have to be quicker if you're going to voice chat um, Feel free to at me in chat And I'll answer your questions all the same Now I wanted to talk about this topic Because there's just so much misinformation And total nonsense about this I've learned lately, guys, I'm no longer taking Reddit seriously. And what I mean by that is that now when I talk and debate on Reddit, it's all a game to me. It's all a game. And what I mean is, is like, I know it's absurd. I know people bullshit, and I know people lie. Let's have fun with it. Stop supporting Kickstarter MMOs, says Ivax, which, by the way, as Ludens know, Uh, Luden's nose or Rippy's nose or any of my OG uh, Xbox people or OG Halo people, we made fun of people with its in their name all the time. (laughs) If your name was its, whenever we played Halo or Gears of War, we 1,000% made fun of you the whole game. That being said, he mentioned the whole leaking, you know, the private emails thing. And this is an example of how you take a real situation with real ramifications and real problems and cross into the alex jones territory which is like creating this giant conspiracy about like nonsense essentially you're an it's sorry mgpt we used to always make fun of its peoples all right so here's the premise crowdfunded mmos were never successful he states that's an absolute statement aka a descriptive claim Meaning, he has to provide evidence for that claim. Because he's making an absolute statement. I don't care if they're industry veterans or not. There's a difference between a properly funded and structured studio and a shitty crowdfunded campaign. <laughs> uh, <whoo. laughs> that was a big brain realization there. Crowdfunded... Mem- sorry crowdfunded mmos are cash grab the cash grab starts at the crowdfunding part where they milk as much see how he uses the terminology milk that's uh you can tell he has a confirmation bias because people who raise funds in a positive way you don't describe it as milking you say they're raising funds when a charity raises funds you say they're raising funds you don't say they milk funds so we already know right he's thinking a little bit negative here <clears throat> as much money as possible promising the most impossible features the funniest thing about that particular statement is that already within his like first two sentences i've found so many errors i can't take them seriously right by promising the most impossible features first off nobody in any conceivable world would ever announce a feature because it's impossible there is no logic there. Like, I mean, unless you're just like some, you know, like kid who's like, I'm gonna fly tomorrow's by myself. Like, rational people don't say that shit. Rational people don't think people try to sell people on the most impossible features. No, they're trying to sell them on the features they want, which maybe to some can seem impossible, but none of the Kickstarter. Crowdfunded MMOs right now are offering anything. That's impossible None of them are offering anything that is impossible. I hate this rhetoric. I hate that rhetoric (laughs) Sorry pins here. You're right. This guy must have been one of the ones who funded one of these games It seems like a bit like he has a bit of a sunk cost here, huh? Like, he's already put so much into it. He's so invested. He's invested. Alright, then he says, then they start delivering a shitty game. Failed premise again. Nobody purposely releases or delivers a shitty game. Nobody purposely does that. What they do is, within their resources, within their timeline, within their ability to stick to a schedule, that... In large part determines how finished or how good a game ends up being, right? So mostly, when someone delivers a shitty game, it's because of the other factors surrounding it. They don't just release a shitty game. Like, what the? That makes no sense. (laughs) You don't just release a. What incentive does a corporation have to release a shitty game? Just like, because whatever. There's no logic there. Now he's right. People do release bad games, right? Again, not on purpose, because they don't start delivering a shitty game. It's not like some grand big brain, you know, idea to release shitty games, right? What ends up happening, people make big promises, they don't deliver on them, or, as we find out in MMO development, ideas are easy. I could tell you guys a bunch of ideas for great MMOs. Why can't I make a good MMO? Why? Why can't I make a good MMO? Someone who's been playing MMOs now for. I always forget, 16 years, I've been playing like basically, I've never gone a month without playing an MMO, and I've been playing for 16 years. Why can't I make the best game ever? Because I don't have the resources, because I don't have the team, because I don't have other great developers, because I don't have the money, because I don't have the engine. There's so many things that go into making a game, right? It's not just about your ideas. Then he asked the question. Oh, he says, I don't see why there's more stigma against Asian MMORPGs when these epic Western crowdfunded MMORPGs that are going to kill WoW. None of them said that, by the way. Kill WoW was like six years ago. He's in the he's in the total wrong generation. Or restore the classical nostalgia. They also don't offer to restore classical nostalgia. This guy is so blatantly biased. It's hilarious, dude. Classical nostalgia. Kill WoW. These are all terms and buzzwords that he learned probably on the internet and has heard them before on you know paragons of of big brainisms at mmorpg subreddit the paragons of big brainisms right i know there's there's tons of big brains there and he probably learned that word there do you seriously think star citizen ashes of creation came out on chain chronicles of ltheria Pat- pantheon rise of the fallen are actually going somewhere Stop white knighting Gs just because they're crowdfunded. Stop white knighting them. Who the fuck is white knighting? Like... What? White knighting is when somebody assumes that somebody can't defend themselves, and so they defend them for them. That's what white knighting it means. I know it's like e- ebonic slash like uh urban dictionary. It's the urban language, right? It's not a real like definition or word. White knighting is is slang. <laughs> but like, how do you even white knight an MMORPG because it's crowdfunded? Like, it's such a leap. First off, I've seen way more negative press and way more negative perception of these crowdfunded MMOs than I've seen positive personally. I don't know if you guys agree or disagree. Maybe it's my job. Maybe it's because I work a lot on YouTube, so I'm used to the negativity. But I'm used to seeing people say, this sucks, this shit, it's never going to be good, blah, 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 blah. I don't have a whole lot of people on my comments that are saying that it's like good or don't attack it because it's in work. Like, I don't see a whole lot of that. What did you say, Lumpas? I mean, MMOs can't exactly defend themselves. Wouldn't that make it white knighting? But like, it's a non-living entity. (laughs) We're talking about like human interpersonal relationships. That's where the term white knighting comes from. If you wanna change the term or introduce a new term that could describe defending inanimate objects, years if you know one for that i just call it a nerd <laughs> i just call us nerds that's what i thought the terminology name for that was okay scroll down a little bit and another another complete equivocity here check this out he says please actually research the games and developers crowdfunded does not equate with ethical neither with quality usually it's quite the opposite so throughout this post He's made at least six claims that he 100% cannot back up. I know that. Why do I know that? Because I have no life and I spend all my time looking at this shit, right? (laughs) Like, for example, in the very beginning of his post, crowdfunded MMOs were never successful. 100% a false statement. You see why it's stupid to make uh, normative claims whenever... Sorry. You see why it's stupid to make descriptive claims When you don't actually have the data or the information? Claim. A claim that asserts that such and such is the case. Normative is a claim that such and such ought to be the case. It's the is versus ought. We're back to the is versus ought. It all comes back to is versus ought. Should MMOs in the crowdfunded platform be more successful or ought to be more successful? Possibly, right? But never successful, literally impossible to prove that statement because there's already been crowdfunded MMOs that have done successful. Now, I'm not going to sit here and say, wow, levels of success or that Albion Online is the greatest game ever, but it's a much better game than the Asian MMOs, copycat MMOs that he was mentioning. Which apparently are supposed to be comparable. Now the other thing is. is He talks about crowdfunded MMOs being a cash grab. Again, this is another thing that he's speculating. Although I understand what he's trying to imply. He's trying to say that most of them are that way. But you see how he made the is claim. And said that it is that way. Well now you have to prove it buddy. Prove to me that crowdfunded MMOs are all cash grabs. Prove that to me. Because you can't. That's why it's, it's. it's sorry, it's just stupid to say shit like that. And again, we, we've got some more great arguments here to quickly uh, pick through. The use of epic quotations, kill wow quotations, restore the classical nostalgia tells us essentially one thing. Biased fuck that terminology is already setting up a bias framework what i mean is like let's say i'm having a conversation with limpos and i use him as an example because he's in chat right now and i'm having a conversation with limpos and at some point i'd be like you know you're 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 a mechanic uh limpos but that's kind of like you know that's uh that's strong man's work you know (laughs) aren't you you know too educated for that (laughs) like Clearly, when I'm having that conversation, you can tell that I'm biased. I don't think that a mechanic or a job as a mechanic, whatever type of mechanic, by the way, he's not a car mechanic, um, is like a smart job to have. You can see my bias in the way that I speak about it. And so when you're having a discussion with someone, and I, and I want you guys to really understand this part. You never want to set up the framework with very hostile language because it just sets up a hostile environment off the bat. And to bring it back to the Limposs argument, let's say I say that, or let's say we're talking about, um, you know, he's a mechanic and I'm like, hey, you're a mechanic. Isn't that a job for idiots? Wait, why are you mad at me? Why don't you want to talk to me anymore? Why why doesn't anyone want to be my friend? Isn't it a job for idiots? You see my point? Like If you set it up with a a negative stigma and frame it in a negative way, you're you're closing off discussion, whereas you could open discussion. You don't want to. You want (laughs) to. Anyway, I love limpas, so I'm just kidding. He talks about crowfall seems to be doing something. So is Albion Online. It's funny that he uses crowfall because as an example, they've actually done the least. (laughs) they've shown the least. (laughs) you see how biased he is he can't even see his own bias in one vein he says all crowdfunded mmos are cash grabs and suck and blah and they're you know whatever and then he says but crowfall is doing something wait what's different about crowfall based on your premise same scenario because you're biased now to spend not much more time on this let's get to the last bit which always cracks me up. Check this out. Please actually research the games and developers before paying $5,000. Also look at the features they promise. A lot of them seem to self-contradictive... Se- a lot of them seem to be self-contradictive, wow killer, quotation, cater to every audience-esque feat. That's not even English. But let's... Anyway. Esque features. Like, please put a period somewhere which usually fail. See if the game is seeking to achieve a realistic single goal rather than trying to promise everything, which is usually unrealistic. All right. Um, What what games are promising everything out of curiosity? Star Citizen? Okay, that's one. Chronicles of Illyria, maybe? Okay, I could see that. Ashes of Creation? Possibly. I feel like they're a little bit more kind of open with their expectations. But there's how many kickstarter mmos in existence hundreds how can you make such a broad statement when you don't even know all of them when you don't even have the data since white knights of the game i criticized are literally downvoting every sensible reply i input <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, sorry dude oh man <laughs> Hey, look at me. Look at your boy trying to slide into this guy's DMs. Hey, I would love to talk about this on my podcast. Are you perhaps interested in such? See how I put the exclamation point? I was trying to let him know it's not hustle territory, buddy. And I wouldn't have been. I would have given him the floor to make himself look like an idiot. I'm not baselessly calling your games that you invested in over $1,000 in a scam or a cash grab. I'm doing it for a reason. <laughs> I'm so, dude, this is the funniest thing I've seen all day. I'm so glad I didn't read this last night. I would not have been able to fall asleep. Anyway, sorry. This is just so good. Is this why you allow us to call in? No, I'm actually, I don't like to press you guys when you call in much at all. Um, unless you're willing to have that kind of discussion. Because usually when you guys come to me, it's more so about sharing an idea than it is like, critique my idea. Whereas when somebody... Okay, here's one thing that I know many of you who who work in the professional um, space know, right? You know the idea of when somebody knows their shit and when somebody doesn't know their shit, right? As you know, with my numerous attempts at making comparisons or jokes with limpos. He knows I know I don't know shit about being a mechanic, right? He knows that. That's why it's funny <laughs> when I say stupid shit about being a mechanic. Because I'm joking. I'm not serious. I don't know shit about being a mechanic, okay? I would never give someone a lesson on how to be a mechanic or tell somebody of they're being a ethical mechanic or if all mechanics are scammers. I would never make those claims because they're too absurd, right? And I know I don't know something. The biggest thing... The biggest epidemic in this entire world, universe, whatever you want to call it, is the epidemic that everybody thinks they must have an opinion, even when they don't know shit. And that's that's why, like, when you guys ask me about some games, I don't mean to be dismissive, but if I don't know a lot about it and I haven't looked into it, I don't like to give you guys too much of my perspective unless you're just asking for my base perspective. If you're asking for, like, a review... Or a referral or something like that I mean when have I ever referred a game to you guys I nearly never do because for me it has to be good I have to believe in it right I have to believe in it so he just says that he's not baselessly calling them uh, cash grabs or scams then proceeded to call them a cash grab and a scam um, and then he said he's doing it for a reason so let's see let's see please good sir one thing you guys will realize about me I love when people act like they're know-it-alls because I know I'm not a know-it-all. So it's so easy to deal with know-it-alls because I'm not a know-it-all. Eventually, I just got to get them to the point to where they have to make a concession that they don't know, that they're just speculating. And in my eyes, at that point, their argument kind of falls apart. He says, let's cover Pantheon first. I think this post sums it up pretty well. He posts some random post on uh, (laughs) mmrpg.com. What a great site to, like, read good information. All right. Let's see. Pantheon is a game made by Brad McQuaid. I believe in him and his dream. His money management issue is not what I... Issue is not why I say do not invest. That should raise your eyebrows. What? Is he trying to say why he says don't invest? I thought, I thought he was suggesting do not invest. His money management issue is not why I say do not invest. Sorry, it's a little bit early for me, but can somebody explain that in English? Anyway, he says, the management team has no experience. The videos are so-so. Are the team is volunteer. Okay, uh, most MMOs were like that initially as well. Okay, um, They're training their website moderators to build the game. Uh, I don't know if there's any evidence to prove that. That's a bold claim, buddy. Where is your evidence? I don't see any evidence or any leaks, uh, links here. They chased off some of their best world builders. Who knows, right? I'm not going to go through all of this shit. But the point being is he's making his opinion based on somebody else's poorly researched opinion. That's called the blind leading the blind for ashes of creation it's so obvious it's undeniable he says it's undeniable steven's previous project was a scam shut down by the fda therefore 100 percent, ashes of creation is a scam damn this guy is just a god man he's annihilating us with pure facts and logic facts don't care about our feelings For Camelot Unchained, I'd like to say it's attempting to support hundreds of players battling at the same place. Guess what engine they're using to do this? Unity. <laughs> Woo, man, dude! What, what a great way to end this post with one of the easiest statements to disprove in the universe. Man, I love typing shit into Google and beating people's arguments. It makes me feel like I'm like, smart or something. Okay, I I wanna find out about this Camelot Unchained game. People say it's a scam, so I wonder if it is a scam, right? Like what kind of engine does it use? If it doesn't use a good engine, it's obviously a scam. So I need to figure out um, Camelot Unchained Engine? Hmm, I wonder if that will give me some results. Let's see. Oh, okay. Fast and light. Meet the engine. Andrew talks about our engine. Head here to check out. Okay. Let's click on this link. I'll type in engine in my finder. See what comes up. There's a lot of good engine tech out there. We're using someone else's physics engine. Okay. As does most companies. Okay, so let's, let's keep going. What's their What's their actual engine? Um hmm i don't see unity anywhere they keep talking about creating an engine why are they talking about that isn't unity an already created engine why would someone need to create an engine one of the questions we get asked a bunch by people who've heard about the game is what engine are you using? You know What's going to power all of this? And first, let me say, we are not doing everything in-house. One of the key things for this game, really the signature thing, is mass player battles. And we looked out there, and I've worked with a lot of different game engines. I'm scratching and, my fedora because I'm you wondering you know, where he said Unity. More, Did and anybody hear Unity yet? Really Has Unity been mentioned at all anywhere? Unity is a company that's very public. Meaning I can type in Unity. Everyone knows what Unity is. Anyone that uses Unity would outline that they use Unity. It probably is even required with the license, right? Just as Unreal and all the other engines require you to say that you use them. But I didn't hear Unity. Because it doesn't fucking use it, Unity, you idiot. And yes, at this point, it's, I've gotten to the point where it's no longer about being nice. You're an idiot because you're making claims that are blatantly wrong and can be fixed with a single Google search. This is ultimately the problem I had with this, is I see this so often on Reddit, it is completely bewildering to me. People make 100% false statements that you can just Google. Like, I'm not a wizard, okay? I don't feel like a wizard. I just feel like I'm I'm curious, and I type shit into Google a lot. That's what I feel like I do from my perspective. Well, obviously, it's a little more complicated than that, but usually it kind of feels like that, right? I don't understand how this is any better than fetishizing crowdfunded MMOs. How is this post any better than being like, guys, crowdfunded MMOs, the future, they're gonna be the greatest. Star Citizen, greatest game ever. Like, what's the difference in doing that? Based on speculation, based on no factual basis, based on being biased, based on knowing you're in a hostile environment so you're literally just trying to like fight with people, which is what he did multiple times throughout. He's using hostile language because he knows they're going to be hostile with him. Why does he know they're going to be hostile with him? He thinks it's because crowdfunded white knights. It's not crowdfunded white knights. It's because if you're an idiot and you showcase yourself to be an idiot, people will say you're an idiot and treat you like an idiot. That's it. It's no more complicated than that. All right, let's go ahead and do the uh, question segment. I know I was a little bit running late on that. Um, the podcast is now 2.23. So it's it's actually, the podcast is um, a little bit 10 minutes over schedule. I've been trying to kind of cut them at around two hours. So if any of you have any questions you'd like to ask me, go ahead and ask now. I'll go ahead and start scrolling up to see if I get to every question that you guys are asking. Make sure I do at Apathy least. Um, okay. I can't, unfortunately, go all the way back, but I think I've gotten the majority of it. Uh, Remy's asks, you've mentioned you've played Planescape Torment last time. How do you compare Avalon's writing there to KOTOR 2's? Um, I think they're very different because I think with Planescape Torment, Avalon was really trying to to increase the amount of ambiguity and, and really focus on telling you a tale that basically, I mean, there's similar. Actually, you know what? There's a lot of similarities they both kind of want to just like slap the traditional RPG views in the face. Right. Both games kind of want to like drop the whole stereotypes on their head and kind of do them in a different way. Put quote Two in the sense of uh, uh, kind of breaking away from the typical Star Wars story. Whereas Planescape Torment obviously was an Icewind Dale project. Chris Avalon was on that. That's the OG, um, the OG RPG squad. So he had a lot of talent involved with him. So it's not just Chris Avalon. In fact, the one that Chris Avalon in particular spent the most time writing from his, you know, word of mouth, apparently, was, um... Oh, no! What's the witch's name in Planescape Torment? She's who Crea is based on! Why do I not know this? Um, dang it! I know someone will correct me, so I'll go ahead and move to the next question. How often are you able to tell if a project is going to fail? Huh. I mean, if you want to talk about my success, Ravel, that's it. Thank you. Thank you. Brilliant character. Very, very similar to Kreia. He admits that, but that's because they kind of are the same archetype in a way. They're that wise kind of maybe not so morally, you know, right character. Who cares more about power and unlocking power? But to answer the question, how often do I think I'm able to tell if a game fails? Well, currently speaking, if you look at my track record, I've been 100%. I haven't made a single mistake, but that's easy to do, right? Because I've covered mostly games that were literally dead or had very low populations. But that's why I focused on those, right? Because ultimately speaking, people ask, why do you do these like, you know, more conceptual death of a games? When you could just do a literal death of a game. Well, partly the reason is popularity, right? I have to, you know, I, I do this for a living, so I have to cover something that's like more more popular. I can't just go after the the done and dusted games because those stories generally are actually very short. And not to mention most games that just straight up fail in that way, I've kind of already covered the major one. So when I look at how to analyze if a game is going to die. I'll, I'll simplify this so I don't have to sit here and talk for that much longer. If you want to determine whether or not a game is ever going to recover out of its either perceived maintenance mode, content drought, or just period, like it's ever gonna come up, come back, period, you have to look at concurrent players. Concurrent players is the most important stat concerning population. Um, I had a guy argue with me. It was, it was the strangest thing. On on Twitter he argued with me about using concurrent player numbers. He's like, You shouldn't use concurrent player numbers, those aren't population numbers. I'm like, I, I know, that's why I said they're concurrent player numbers. Yeah, but it's not the real population, it's misleading. Is it? Because when somebody is playing, they only see the players that they're playing with. So the only thing that matters is who you're playing with. All the other players don't matter. And and that's the key thing people don't realize about MMOs. If an MMO, especially one that's not heavily like incredibly instance, right? If it's not mega instance like Swotor or something, or you know another um, uh, game with like insane amounts of instance. Star Trek, Star Trek Online has insane amounts of instance. Those games can function with lower concurrent player numbers, but a MMO that is about community, that is about playing, that is about raid, that is about in-game, all that sort of stuff. That game just doesn't function without a a concurrent player count above a certain amount. And to to provide an example for this, um, if I have one server and 100 concurrent players, but my server has uh, a world that's as large as like 64 kilometers squared, which is like Darkfall size, which is pretty big, and has three main regions. Imagine if you're a player who goes to the other side of the map, you're not going to see anybody. The game's going to seem completely dead when you go to certain cities. And so that's why for perception, perception is key with MMOs. If people think the game is dead or is going to die, they stop playing it. That's why I cover games that aren't literally dead as well. Because dead isn't just a literal word. It's figurative as well. There's more meaning to it than just the literal death. When you look at a game like Star Wars The Old Republic, they announced an expansion six months ago. Still haven't released a roadmap, <laughs> and people are are thinking this is a true expansion. I mean, come on, guys. When, when are we going to stop being naive? They themselves, they in this scenario being Bioware, admitted they didn't have their full team working on it. Like, what more do people need sometimes? And that's why, yeah, ultimately, it's easier to cover the games that are literally dead. But you look at concurrent players, you look at sales, you look at uh, amount of updates, length of between updates as well, um, expansions, um, new player experiences. These are all things you look at when you're determining of whether or not an MMO is going to fail or succeed. And you can tell this oftentimes within the first couple of months. And that, I'll be honest, is a little bit harder to do. You might not be able to do that if you don't have as much experience as I do. Because I've noticed the patterns so much, my brain's trained to see them. So I can see when a game has the same issues that other games have played because I've played the majority of the the major MMOs. So I don't know if like, you have to develop that skill, I guess is what I'm trying to say. If you want to have that ability, you need to start looking for patterns, start looking at other games, start looking historically, right? Like it's it's a lot more um, complicated than just, looking at something and being like, I'll use the measures that you said early to determine if they're going to fail within the first couple of months. You can't, because there's not enough data yet. You need more than a couple of months. Anyway, I think that, I think I made some sense there. All right. Um, any other questions before I leave? Do you think that you... Huh. Do you think that Unreal Engine 4 and Blade and Soul will save the game? An inter- I haven't been asked that before. Save the game, what are they saving it from exactly? If you're talking about the western audience, it'll get some hoopla just like the remaster did for Black Desert Online. Is gonna save it? I mean, I don't really think so. In like the western audience, but the reason why I'm saying save with like quotations is it does fine in Korea, so honestly, I know I'm becoming more and more like NCSoft now when it comes to their games. Or, or rather, uh, I should even say, not just their games, but those kinds of games. Kind of like if it's not good there, it kind of doesn't matter, I guess. <laughs> and I said that like Crystalia for some reason. Hey, thanks. Current thoughts on the new guy. Gwent expansion? Been shooting people and <laughs> pretending to yeah. know how to fight with my hands. Yeah, thank you, Card, for letting them know that. I appreciate that. You were talking about trade skills last week. I want to know if he likes EverQuest Two style of crafting where it's like a separate class you level up and crafting is kind of a combat with a crafting machine. I do like that idea from a certain perspective. And first, that EQ didn't come up with that. Um, Galaxies did. (laughs) Way before EQ did. Um, Galaxies had that idea probably in in their development phase because it's a key part of their game. Um, Anyway, that being said, I love the idea of separating combat and the reason I do is because ultimately speaking, if you want to be great, you can't do both. You can't. Um, if you want to be the best PvP'er, you gotta PvP a lot. If you want to be the best raider, you gotta PvE a lot. And if you want to be the best crafter, you kind of gotta dominate the crafting market. So I like the idea of crafters being their own playstyle, meaning their own type of class. I'm not saying you might, might, you know. I understand the. It's a little bit kind of, eh, when you think about starting as a crafting class, because although Galaxies did that, early on, it's not the most fun experience. Obviously, it's super dated in that sense, so it was more so simplistic in that way. That being said, if you could choose a combat class or just say you don't want a combat class, and it gives you an advantage in crafting, now we're talking. Because you can make it to where someone, like in Galaxies, who specializes in crafting is always going to be better than you. But at least you can still craft, like on a minor level, right? Like with your minor stats. I like that kind of system. So I don't want it to be completely exclusive, but at the higher levels, it should absolutely be exclusive. Because you need to force players to make a decision. Am I a crafter who makes armor, or am I a warrior? Or do I like to kind of dabble? Point being is like, you can't be the best at either of them. Specializations in crafting as well, as another good example, as Limpos said. But to also talk about the minigame aspect, that's a really good point that I think is woefully, woefully um underdeveloped. We need MMOs that when it comes to crafting, it's not just craft tin belts, right? It's not just the professions aren't just do something ten times. It needs to be more than that, right? Maybe like Camelot Unchained is trying to do. Allow for a blueprint system, which allows you to create something and then own the blueprint to it. Brilliant idea, by the way. Thanks, uh, Mark Jacobs, I, or his team, whoever came up with that idea. Anyway, I hope I'm making some sense. It, it, this is a long, honestly, topic that we can talk about maybe on one of the other podcasts. Um, maybe message me, or I'll try and write it down somewhere. <laughs> nice meme, Ludens. tour is the best tour. <clears throat> best seamstress. <laughs> no, I just refreshed my page, which That's I forgot gets term. rid of my questions. Um let me pull up my stream labs real quick. By the way, guys. We're, we're, no, I just refreshed. Oh wait, I'm hearing myself. No. I don't want to hear myself. I already have to listen to myself for hours when I do my voiceovers. I wanted to update this uh, text down here because, technically speaking, guys, we're at 49 subs. Uh Uh-oh. We're one away from me continuing to wear this damn costume. So, uh, if you haven't already used your Twitch Prime sub, now's the time. Um, Let me get to those questions that I missed before I end this podcast uh, shortly. Sorry, I I restarted my chat, so I gotta open up my... um my streamlabs so i can actually read what people Uh, that's origin sounds okay um i think streamlabs is where i'm supposed to look for right huh damn it sorry guys i can't remember where i'm supposed to look for the actual text (laughs) take off that costume right now (laughs) um damn it how do you open up the the chat history which chat history i know there's a way obviously log viewer all right i think i found something Oh wait. <laughs> Man, this uh this log viewer is extremely laggy. Extremely laggy. Alright, well damn. I guess it's not gonna work, so sorry if I missed your question, but yeah, if if you could do that car, that'd be great. I wanna get this uh show on the road and head out. But I didn't want to miss this question. Okay, Um, Chris Avalon on Twitter told us that he's finished working on Respawn's Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order. Do you think he'll return to the themes of KOTOR 2? You have to know Chris as a person. And and I'm not going to say I know him personally, but I've studied his career. And generally speaking, he's not a go-with-the-grain kind of writer. So it's very unlikely, even working on such a high-profile game as Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order it's unlikely he went completely generic Star Wars fantasy. So that's good. That's a concession for sure. But I don't know if he'll return to the themes of KOTOR 2 because technically speaking, (laughs) it's not canon anymore anyway. Legends. So I don't know if he can, but one tidbit I'll add to that, which is interesting, is he also teased a possible um, hidden project big project announcement that's supposed to be coming this month people are speculating that'd be vampire the masquerade game they could have got chris avalon that'd get me interested for damn sure that dude touches games and they go gold that's just a fact what is your thoughts on gwent and if it's on its way to do as poorly as artifact after the homecoming revamp i haven't looked at any of the stats concerning gwent but i did play the game and um, I couldn't help but feel underwhelmed by it. And I I know that's not really like a conclusive argument, but that's all I can kind of say right now is that something about the game just felt like it wasn't completely paced right. And also, I didn't see a lot of skill. Like, I didn't feel a lot of those moments when you play a card game where you're like, aha, top decked. Or you go, aha, lethal. Or you go, hmm, I'm going to scare up God, this dude, and then resummon his zombie to resummon my zombie and then wipe him and end the game. Like these kinds of cool plays that happen in Magic and 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 happen in all of these different um, uh, card games. I never had those experiences in Gwent. So to me, it's just like, what are they really going for? You know, like, are they going for that card game audience? Because if they are, it's not working. But if they're going for a different audience or just trying to rely on their Witcher audience, then I'm sure they'll get just enough success. Time to keep the suit on. Well, thank you, Sakito. I, I appreciate that. I don't know why I spoke Japanese, but um, your name sounded Japanese. I was trying to be uh, polite. I actually know a little bit of Korean and I know a little bit of Japanese, but only because I did karate and taekwondo as a kid for like most, if not all of my childhood um and played video games that's one thing you guys don't know totally about me yet is that i love martial arts as much as i love video games but i haven't found a way to like combine those two audiences so maybe late in the i've thought about some funny ideas concerning my outfit like i could go dressed like this to my actual gym or academy And then make a skit out of that. There's tons of fun and and funny things I can do to introduce all of that. But I've reached the point that I would say is the end of this podcast. So I want to thank everybody for stopping by today for episode... Wow, I actually forgot today's episode. That means we're getting up there in the numbers. Episode 24, where we talked about just about everything MMOs. We also talked about, uh, obviously, Red Dead Redemption, microtransactions, artifact dropping, and being below 500 concurrent players. And the Dune MMO being announced. So we talked about a lot of interesting things, and I also ranted a lot about uh, interesting things. So I hope you guys enjoy the podcast. Thank you for stopping by. For those who were there since the very beginning, I thank you as always. Means a lot to me. It really does. Those of you who stick through all the way, it, it tells me that you can like, you can listen to my voice. You know, you can tolerate me. That, that's that's a nice thing to me. <laughs> Especially when I hear my voice so often, I can't even tolerate my own voice anyway um jokes aside thank you everybody we got it back up to 50 subscribers so i'm wearing the outfit again feels good it it, i'm breaking it in man i'm I'm feeling like i I told card I, i might need some more outfits like i could do a bow tie maybe no maybe kind of like a different coat kind of deal maybe even a trench coat i could go trench coat hey we could do it all we'll try it out anyway Later, detectives.